Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today is part two in our study on Paul's instruction on how the Christian is to glorify God with their life in dealing with sin and temptation. We will liken our struggle against sin under the imagery that Paul uses, but also comparing it to something like the devious nature of a mosquito that can infect and can ultimately lead to disease and even death. Thanks for joining us today as we look to put a stop to the rule of sin within our bodies. Uh, my son has started driver's ed, so that's going on. That's exciting. He, he, he's doing pretty good too, but uh, the stories that I'm hearing from him are actually bringing back to mind flashbacks of my own time in driver's ed, memories that I have long suppressed. Um, one that came back to me this week was uh, we, we were traveling in Florence down, uh, down one of the side roads, uh, and there was a car stopped a- ahead of us, and I had already finished my turn because in driver's ed, you always go in pairs. You always have a, a buddy who's with you, uh, and uh, the-, the-, the person who got to drive after me evidently didn't realize that the brakes were a little squishy maybe, just a little squishy, and so as we approached closer, the instructor said, you need to slow down need to slow down, got a little bit closer and slow down, turned into stop, 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 increasing in volume. Now, if you're there with me, do you know that you have like a natural reflex of like holding on to things as you're about to hit? Stop, stop. And then the driver, he said the first time he's ever had to do this, had to hit, he has a brake. If you know this, they, they have a little extended brake. So he had to hit the brake and the car came to a screech just before it hit the car in front of us. See, I told you I suppressed those memories. It it reminds me of even in our own lives that there are moments where I believe if God were watching your behavior and mind or the path or the quality or the habits of our thoughts, that the Spirit says you you should probably slow down right now. In fact, you should stop. Stop. Stop! Right? Right? But do you know what God rarely does? Rarely does he do a supernatural work of actually hitting the brake. Of course, sometimes that happens. But God is even patient enough with us to allow some of our misdeeds to actually unfold with consequences in our lives. That we would learn even in the midst of our mistakes, he is still good and he is still faithful. And here's the amazing thing, that even in those moments, do you know what God does? He'll still turn back to us. And for our understanding today, this is, this, this is a really important truth of the Christian faith, is that God gives you the resources to stop. He, he hasn't left us in the vehicle of our lives to just be slamming in places, harming ourselves and harming all those around us. God has actually given us the tools. He has given us the resources, primarily in the person of his Holy Spirit, that we would be equipped to know how to honor him, to steward our lives well. This is the subject that we're in right now as we're studying this paradox called the living dead, for this is what we are. We are those who are now, by virtue of our faith in Jesus Christ, God's gift of grace to us, we're alive. For some of us, for the first time, We're alive. And that comes by virtue of there being an additional dying that has happened. A dying to self. A dying to sin. And so we are these who are now alive and yet dead simultaneously. 
As we're in this series that's going to lead us right up into Easter, we're studying which is one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament in Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. And I want to remind you as you're turning there that each one of these messages is going to be offering to you and to me a sequential resource of answering the question, how does the Christian deal with sin? That's the issue we're studying. How should the believer deal with sin? Because sin is a reality in our lives. It comes by virtue, again, of our being woven under the curse, woven into depravity. And so it exists in your life and in mine. The question isn't whether or not it exists. The question is, what do we do with it? I had a conversation with one of our members after last Sunday's message um, uh, that, was, that was highlighting that there actually is a unique uh, difference of how some of the apostolic writers talk about sin. John offers us a way of dealing with sin. We practice that in our worship every week. Did you catch it in our, in our prayer of confession, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to do what? So what do we do? We confess. That's what you do. John's answer, what do you do with sin? You, you confess it. From the work of Jesus, we know that repentance is that change in our lives. That's, an, that's another answer, but that's not the answer we're studying. That's not what Paul is going to be giving us an answer to sin. Paul's going to be answering the question, how do you deal with it when you're struggling right now? When you're facing temptation right now, how do you fight? That's the subject of our study. And I want to give us just a real quick review because, again, each one of these messages is going to be sequential. And so this is going to be helpful for us to make sure we get our bearings before we go to step two. We've got to get firm on step one so you'll remember as we looked into last week. Um, I want to ask any quiz questions. A little foggy for me too, right? So we'll work together on this. That there are a few preliminaries that we need to understand in Paul's argumentation. The first is this. You need to be forensically righteous, meaning declared not guilty. You, you need that in your life in order to commune with God. Righteousness is this requirement. So Paul's beginning with that. He's also going to include an understanding of what we've learned to be called federal headship, which is that there are two men who have been um, created without sin. There's only two of them. Adam was the first one. And who's the second? Jesus, I got to be careful the word creation because it wasn't that Jesus was created. He was incarnate on the earth without sin, but he's eternally God from the beginning, fully God. And yet here to walk on the earth fully as well as a man without sin, just like Adam was. And by virtue of these two, all humans either have the privilege of following in the or, or sitting. Remember the illustration of the bus sitting in the bus driven by Adam? He doesn't, without a clue where he's going, he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good evil. He's trying to call the shots now. You might try to jump in the driver's seat. You might try to call the shots now. Any of us know where we're going? No. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't know where you're going. (laughs) But then that second bus shows up, now driven by Jesus. Jesus knows where he's going. Jesus knows right where you're supposed to go. Jesus understands completely the mind of God because Jesus is God. And he opens the door and he says, would you like to, would you like to come on board? A- a- anyone's available to come. Come on board. And by virtue, therefore, of transferring our trust from self, from man, from Adam to Jesus, we now have a new head. 
So federal headship here is the theme that um, Paul's working with. And finally, lastly, we studied how death is final for sin. The, the Bible tells us anybody who has died is done with sin. Right? And so th- those were all attributes that then led us to the first step. So you ready for it? How do you deal with sin? Number one, you need to know. You need to know something. What is it we need to know? And, and this, this was for me, a bit, again, this is just review that I'm going through here, and it's worth reviewing. This for me was impactful because I felt like I have read this verse incorrectly. If you're in Romans 6, just look at verse 6 real quick. 6 says, for we know, there it is, something, something I need to know. What is it I know? We know that our old self was crucified with him. And I used to stop there. I used to think, that's what I need to know. My old self was crucified with him. And the more that I dwelt upon that, it didn't seem to have much effect with sin in my life. I know that's true. But the reason why that may not have been the right ascent unto my knowledge is because that's really not Paul's main point. You still with me in verse 6? Because your Bible should say the words, so that, right after this truth. And that's the part we need to know. Step number one is this. You need to know that being in Christ allows your old self to be crucified with him so that the body of sin may be done away with. That's what you need to know. That's why I'm included in Christ. Not just that I'm in him so that the body of sin, or or so that uh, the old self is crucified, but the reason why it was crucified. It was crucified with Christ so that I can be done with it. Now, that's really worth an amen, right? Anybody struggling with sin right now? Let's try it one more time, right? You were in Christ, crucified him, so the old self is dead, gone, done, so that you can be done with sin. Amen. Yeah, that's a good one. I want to be done, right? It's beautiful. That's the first part of the step that leads to this, this exchange into the next one because there's a second half of that. The Bible says in verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Count, all right, I, I get it now. I know that the body of sin is to be done away with. So I need to now press that truth into my life such that I learn to live that way. That's what the word count here means. We used a different word. I like the King James word here. It means, the word is reckon. You need to reckon this true. And the work of reckoning is an acknowledgement of a fact. It's an acknowledgement of a truth that leads on to a change in behavior, a change in action. Let me give you an example. Uh, Let's say you were watching the news and the weatherman said it was going to rain. And you saw the radar and, yep, (laughs) It's going to rain. You can tell the green shows up everywhere, right? Now you know something, right? So you just walk outside. La, 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 la. Right? Is that, is that what you do? No, but you know what you should do? You should bring something along with you. What should you bring? Yeah. Do you know what that is? That's the reckon part of it. You, you may know something to be true, but when you reckon it, mean to acknowledge it as a fact, it changes your behavior. And so now I'm going to carry an umbrella with me. And someone may ask, why are you carrying an umbrella? An umbrella. It's not just because I know something. It's because I've known it in such a way that now it has changed how I live. Is this, does that make sense? Right? J- just to know it means that, yeah, rain makes me wet. I get that. I know that's true. To reckon it means I'm going to credit that truth as a guarantee. That's a guarantee. And so I'm going to live that way. Today we're going to move on to step two. Step two is going to be found in verse 12, and I've entitled this message, Rule and Reign. Rule and Reign. So last week was know and reckon. Today is rule 
and reign. So with that in mind, let's turn in our Bibles. Chapter 6, we're going to read verse 12. Therefore, it's hard for me to go on when there's a therefore, right? The, the Bible student in me always wants to be like, you know what a therefore does, right? It, it, it causes you to look at what he's just said. So this is a really important hinge point in the understanding of Paul's argument, right? He's just told us something that's true, and now he's going to move into what do you do with that. So let's try again. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you would obey its evil desires. Okay. That's it. If you, Cliff Notes version of this sermon. You guys ready for it? If you just, you're one of those guys, right? Here it is. Don't sin. There you go. That's it, right? Here's our problem with that. Like, that's a message we've heard our whole life, is it not? I'm sure that's the message you tell yourself. Right? As a Christian, I'm sure that this is not like, oh yeah, new information. The problem is, how's that going? Right? right? The, the don't sin part is absolutely true. The error comes if you hear preachers say, well, you just need to try harder. That's the, that's, you just got to work harder. So let's all make sure that is not what this message is about. Right? This isn't a try harder message. This is a God has given you the tools. You can, you can stop the car. You can press the brake. He's put it there. It's our job to be trained and taught and having our minds reshaped to understand those resources God has given us so that we can do, which is the larger question is, how do I live my life to glorify God? Do you remember us talking about that last week? That's the larger question here. How do I live my life to just glorify God? And that question includes then the answer, you got to take care of sin. You're going to have to fight with sin. And so that's what we're going to look at. Paul says here, therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you would obey its evil desires. Are you guys, anybody here like scripture, scripture memory? Anybody work on that? Oh, nobody? We're going to have to start. Okay. All right. All right. We're going to. Yeah. Jerry, yeah. Jerry's got this now. All right. Here we go. Let's, let's try to memorize this. Therefore, let, let's do we're going to do some motions. This is what kindergarten teachers do. This is what my wife teaches me. So do this right here. Therefore, all right, uh, do not let sin reign. This is a crown. Okay, I'm getting lost already. Let's try it over. Right? Stretch out here. Ready? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Right? That's, that'll count for mortal body, right? So, I don't know what to do for so that. So that you obey. This is what I want to do for obey, right? Like, a, like a, yes, yes, sir, right? So um, obey its evil desire. I don't know what to do for that, right? Just... <laughs> got something better for me? I'm making this up on the spot, you guys. So if you got something better, let's try it. Let's try it again. Like this, do not, like throw it away. Evil desires. Thank you, Jerry. We'll go with that. All right, here we go. Therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Good. All right. Good. We got it. We got to work on that one a little bit more. Not bad. I have a few observations that we need to begin with here that are preliminary. As we've looked into this passage, Paul's going to start by recognizing three truths. The first is this. Paul's going to be personifying sin. You're going to miss the meaning if you don't understand that sin here is being personified as though it has a will. 
sin is an agent or a virus in your life that's trying to kill you. That's what it's doing. And so there's, there's this personifying work of sin. I, I want you to see how Paul presses this out in the next chapter. Chapter 7, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold into slavery to sin. For I don't understand what I'm doing. For I don't do what I want. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I do not do what I want, I agree that the law is good. But now it's no longer me doing it. It's what? It's sin living in me. That's that's doing what I don't want to. I don't want to sin. So where does it come from? For Paul, he's going to personify sin as this agent in your body that's doing it. You, the real you, who is the new creation in Christ Jesus. That's not the problem. That's not what the error, that's not where the mistake is found. Like, where's the fault here? Where is it? Sin is the enemy. Sin is the agent that, it, that we are fighting and battling against. He continues, for I know that nothing good lives in me that's in my flesh. For I want to do the good, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the very evil that I do not want. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer me doing it. It's sin living in me. So that's the first thing we need to understand as, as Paul's going to make this argument. Secondly, is what I'm going to call the subjugation of man. The subjugation of mankind. What this means is that we, all of us, are enslaved. Everybody's enslaved. In fact, we read it earlier in that verse in chapter 7. He says that he's sold into slavery to sin. I want you to see how this shows up in a few places. A few more verses in chapter 6. Paul says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves? There it is. Who who are you going to obey? Because whoever you're going to obey, you're going to be a slave to that one. This isn't just from Paul. Peter actually brings this up as well. 2 Peter 2, he says, for a man is slave to whatever has mastered him. Right? So so what what is it that controls your life? Because whatever that thing is, you're, you're a slave to that thing. In in fact, this isn't something that Christians uh, or the apostles are shying away from. This is a fact. The reality of the subjugation of man to be slave to something isn't something, therefore, that the apostles try to undo. Do you know what they do instead? They just reorient their allegiance. Instead of, I pledge allegiance to sin, to do whatever you say every time. Instead of that, do you know what the apostles do? Check this out. Romans chapter 1. Paul says, from Paul, a slave of who? Now, that's who he is now. He's still a slave, but now he's a slave of Christ. says something very similar here in, uh, from Peter, from Simon Peter in 2 Peter 1. What's Peter call himself? Do you see it? He's a slave. All right, so that, that's the second key thing that I need us to understand, right? First of all, uh, sin's being personified. Next, there is a subjugation of mankind that says every single one of us is a slave to something. And then lastly, we need to understand a doctrine called conditional unity. Um, I don't know if you can tell each one of these is like a 30 minute message for explanation. So I'm going a little quick through all this here. I'll do my best to cover this. Conditional unity is an aspect of anthropology, the study of mankind. Right. And um, there are uh, there's a little bit of a spectrum of theological truth that is understood with this. So we, we go on a spectrum from monism to a duality to a trichotomy to this one here, conditional unity. Each one of those has a particular truth to it dependent upon your perspective. 
So with monism, this, this was early theology in the church. Um, and it's actually something that is, shows up in some cults today that's, uh, that's quite dangerous. But it's simply, if, if you wanted to catch anything that was virtuous with this, it's simply this. You are a person. That's the good of it, right? So, so that's what you are. You're not two people. You, you are one person. Um, a dichotomy, the dualism of mankind says, well, it's not just physical. Monism is going to uh, think that fatalism is how I live my life because all of my decisions are just chemical reactions of my body for I'm only physical. Well, that's wrong. That's totally not true. That's where monism fails. A dichotomy view of mankind is actually more correct. You have a physical part of you and a non-physical part of you, right? You, you have a material component, Right? And you have an immaterial part about you, your personality, your mind, your will, your emotions. So you, you could look at a human and say that there are these two components of physical and a non-physical. That's, that's not all, because you know what we can do? The scriptures actually teach us that you can take the non-physical part and you can further subdivide it into two components. You have an eternal soul and you are created as a spiritual being. So we call this trichotomy. So now when we look at what is a man, you're one person, you, you kind of have two different components, material and immaterial. But of the immaterial part, there's two different functions that, that show up there, a soul and a spirit. That's trichotomy. You might recognize this, even taught in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy. The Shema that was given, this was to the, the Jewish Fathers, to teach the children, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. Uh, strength, strength, right? So, so heart, here being a picture of, this, of the spirit that's in you. Your mind being a component of the soulness of your creature. Both your heart and your mind are immaterial. But what's the third one? Yeah, that's physical. That, that, you're to honor your God with these three ways of looking at a human. Now, here's the problem. Not a single one of those is a human. In Genesis, God made man from the dirt, right? Physical, yes. And he breathed into his nostrils. And then the text says, then he became a living being. And so conditional unity is this. That the nature of a human, that the ontology of, of what a human is, must be seen in the complement of all of these features. That is what a human is. And here's what this means for Paul. By the way, if this wasn't true, Paul has no substantiation, no foundational basis to say what he just said. Right? Do you remember what it is? Therefore, do not... What was it? What was it? What was it? Let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you it's evil the desires why do you care about the body Paul why do you care about that there, there was a, a false teaching in the early church that said body doesn't matter it doesn't matter right you're, you're spiritually made whole that's fine a lot of mistakes have been made in the, in the early church that have been corrected by, by, by recognizing actually the human is a full complement of those things. Body, soul, and spirit. And so because of that, Paul comes to this verse and teaches us, you know, there, therefore you need to pay attention to the body part. I get it. I'm with you, Paul says. Right? I don't want to sin anymore. Right? I know Jesus. I'm renewed in my spirit. I'm born again spiritually. Spiritually. 
I have a healthy soul. All those are immaterial. But then Paul goes one step further. He's like, let's talk about your body for a minute. Let's talk about how, how your desires are controlling you. Because do you know what the gospel really does? It's made to influence the whole of humanity. Does this make sense? You guys with me on this? That, that's where we're at? Okay. Did I, someone say no? <laughs> Not going to speak up now, are you? Okay, ask me after. Um, here, here we go. Let, let's talk about uh, five, five conclusions that we can see, see for this. Here, here's the first one. This might be the biggest of all. You have been given authority over sin in Christ. I got to tell you, church, I wrestled with this first observation all week long. I kept looking at this being like, is that really true? Right? Like, I don't think I can say that. That's not right, is it? Is that true? Really? God's given us authority over, over sin? Boy, you don't know my thoughts or life, right? I mean, what, why? Why does this seem like it might be incorrect? And I, I want to say the first part is because we missed the end. You have no authority over sin on your own. You ever catch that? <laughs> Give that a try. See how, see how well that works for you, telling sin what to do without Christ. Because the key to it is you have been given authority in Christ. You have the authority to make these changes by virtue of being in Christ. I want you to know that in our text, that's what the therefore is there for. Is this one right here. Paul starts with the therefore to make sure that we understand we need to be in Christ. In fact, just bump back to verse 11 real quick so you can see this, right? He says, in the same way, reckon or count yourselves dead to sin, but, to, but alive to God. How's it end? In Christ Jesus. That kind of removes our excuses, doesn't it? I've got, we, Emily and I have this treadmill in our bedroom. That treadmill works perfect as a clothes holder for my clothes. <laughs> It really does. It, it'll hold jammy pants. It'll hold anything that you put there. Now, I don't put it down because if I put it down, I might have to get on the thing, right? But do, do I have any excuse? It's right there. Like, it's right there. You want to get in shape? I don't, I can't. It's right there. Like, use it. And this is where I think many of us as Christians, we fail. Because so often, I think we're trying to fight sin either in our flesh and we're not using the understanding of being in Christ. Uh, I'll give you just another metaphor for this. Um, when I was a kid, I remember Mary Poppins was on the TV. And we have this kind of house where I can get up on the roof. And so I found an umbrella. <laughs> because cause I was going to float right down. Don't, this is not my mom's fault. This is my fault. Right? This, don't look at her. Right? So, so I got up on the roof. And I thought I could fly. So I jumped off and I fell like a rock. And I thought, well, maybe it's because I didn't jump more. So I went back up and <laughs> jumped up didn't work why can't i fly right no strength have you ever been on an airplane yeah you can fly how, how are you what's the difference here why am i flying on one and falling on the other it's because i'm actually in the vehicle that gives me the ability does that make sense that's how it works with christ you need to be in christ to therefore then have this kind of authority over sin I want to offer you just a couple other reasons why I think we might have a problem, though. So the first is because we're not operating in Christ. The second is because of the demanding voice of sin. I don't know if you know this. Maybe, I hope you do. Sin is, a, is very bossy. Like a two-year-old. I want that. That's what, that's what sin's doing in your life. I want this now. 
And, you, and sometimes it's just easier to give in. That's what it feels like, doesn't it? Because sin is so annoying and so loud, so demanding, and so vile. Which moves us maybe to the, the third reason, is that the vileness of sin has actually made it so that why, why don't I feel like I have authority? Well, because I've lived my, I've lived my life with a pattern of sinning for so long that I actually kind of like it. Anyone feeling honest this morning on that one? That, that sin as a corruption in my life, I prefer the preacher not to talk about it because then I got to address it. But as long as no one talks about it, I'm kind of fine with it, right? It's, I, ever hear this one? Can't teach an old dog new. Yeah, that's a, I've heard that one, right? So what, what, what's going on in that one? Well, yeah, you're just comfortable. You're just familiar. You're saying, Holy Spirit, I don't give you access and authority in my life in this place because we like sin for the most part. Or the fourth reason I wrote down is that there is an unceasing attack from the evil one. Peggy discovered that, right, yesterday. What's the devil doing? He's constantly trying to trip you. Constantly. You know what? The, the devil would love it nothing better than for you to just sin, 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 sin. And so he makes sin look so good, and he lies to us. This is what showed up in the garden, remember? The devil did it to Eve, right? He's going to do it to you. God doesn't think that way. This is actually going to be good for you, right? This is going to achieve this great thing in your life. Uh, I want you to see this verse from uh, 1 John 3. John says, the, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Why, John? Well, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. This is the reason the Son of God appeared, was to destroy the devil's work. So you've got a, you and I, we have a lot against us that makes this hard. Nevertheless, church, this is true. You have got the controls right there to to stop when you're functioning in Christ. We're not ignoring sin. We're not loving sin. And when you're watching for that devil trying to constantly trip you and I. So that's the first one. Number two, sin is is an enslaving ruler. Sin is an enslaving ruler. Look with me back in the text. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign. Don't let sin reign. This word reign means to have inescapable control as absolute authority. That's what, that's what somebody who reign, somebody who reigns has absolute control, inescapable control in an, in an absolute manner. Best illustration I can think of this is, is gone fishing. Um. You know, there, there's a lot of good fishing videos out on YouTube. Any of you guys know what I'm talking about? Ladies know what I'm talking about? Like, I can get lost for a long time watching people catch fish. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Tom, you know what it's like, right? You got that? What's that? What's the fish thinking at that point? Whoops. I, I know, the fish says, I'll swim this way. How's that work out for the fish? You're done, man. Fish is done, cooked, it's over. Why? Because you got this hook in you that is now controlling your every movement. Church, this is what sin does to us. It's enslaving. In, in fact, if you look down just a few more verses, look at four, verse 14, just the beginning of it. Verse 14 says, for sin shall not be your master, Right? Like a, like a slave-master relationship. This is exactly the problem that we have when it comes to sin because Paul's answer is do not, remember what this one stood for? Do not, 
Right? I was, obey. Don't, don't obey it. Don't obey it. It's acting like a ruler. It is an enslaving ruler. It's not like Christ. Christ is a freeing ruler. He provides freedom. Sin enslaves. See the difference? That's, that's the second one. Third observation is this. Uh, <laughs> it might shock you. Probably won't. Sin is not dead. Sin is not dead. I feel like this is something that, even in my own understanding of the text, I need to make sure I don't, I don't misunderstand what is dead. Because it's not sin that's dead. It's I am dead to sin. Sin is very much alive. It, it, it won't present itself that way, though, right? Sin is also very deceptive in its approach to us. In fact, look back in the text. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Isn't that interesting? Paul's not saying, don't let sin reign in your mind. Don't let sin reign in your will. Don't let sin reign in your soul. He doesn't say that. He says, don't let it reign in your body. In these bodies, and he calls them mortal. So that's exactly where sin is going to attack. It's going to attack that which its desire is to kill. And the reason is because sin is not dead. Uh, when I was a kid, I went over with the neighbors uh, and we were just goofing around out in the woods and there under a rock or a stick or a bench or something, we found a snake that was coiled up. And I was like, oh, that's cool, huh? It looks like it's dead. Touch it. <laughs> you touch it. I don't want to touch it. Why? Just touch it. See if it's alive. I don't want to touch it. And so we began this little Russian roulette of peer pressure to see which of us was going to find out if the snake was alive or dead. I was reminded of this little thing this uh, past week because I was over at my mom's house. She had a, a circuit breaker that tripped. And so she and I were going around the house and we were looking for uh, might be a short somewhere. And I looked under her. Uh, she showed me under her uh, antenna uh, adjuster. There were three open wires there. And, and I thought, well, one way to tell if, because I had flipped it back on, that if this is hot, is to touch it. And so I touched it. How many other dummies are there in church today? <laughs> listen, listen, this is what sin is going to do to you. Sin is going to look like it's dead. That's what it's going to do. Sin is going to look like it's not harmful. It's not hurting anybody. It's going to be very still with you. Make no mistake. Sin is not dead. And it is ready to attack. It is ready to bite. And it's ready to kill. Which brings us to our fourth one, which is, get ready for this, church, right? Because this is war. What does Paul want us to understand? This is war. Let's go through our text one more time, right? Here we go. What's this mean? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. This is war. It's wanting you and forcing you to obey because sin is actively trying to kill you. It is actively making effort to destroy you. Look at a couple of passages that teach this. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death. James 1 says each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, there it is, gives birth to death. And so church, I want you to know this is a battle. This is a war. 
Um, I was listening to preacher Harry Reeder this week from Ligonier Ministries. He said this quote, and I wrote it down. This is beautiful. He's actually quoting another preacher. He says, spiritual warfare is the Christian life. A lot of times in church, we think that, you know, you can be a Christian, but then those of us who are really like serious Christians, like we put on the armor of God, right? We're the ones who are really focusing on the reality of spiritual warfare. Not, not the average Christian, right? You got to be a really extra holy Christian. Wrong. Wrong. You're in a war. You were born into a war. And I want you to see how the warfare shows up in God's word. Romans 7, Paul says, So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law that is at work within me. Again, Paul says this. What does Peter say? Check this out. 1 Peter 2, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from the sinful desires which... Wage war against, against your mind, against your soul, against the real me. And so, church, I, I need you to know, seriously, there is a war going on. I want to give you an illustration for this. Um, when I think of, so, so how do I really make sense of this? I want to offer to you uh, a picture I think we're all pretty familiar with. That's a different kind of war, right? That's going on. A mosquito. I actually had to look this up. Do you know that a mosquito has within its salivary glands a certain type of bioactive substance? This is from the Journal of Biological Chemistry in the American Society of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. Um, so this particular mosquito um, inserts through its proboscis into your body two chemicals... Uh, that serve as a type of protein to inhibit clotting and inflammation. Uh, you could read the article, a bunch of big words I can't pronounce while I'm standing up here right now. Um, do you know that's what sin does? Sin offers itself to you as though it's going to be fine, right? right? The, the, the beginning offer of sin is such that you won't even notice it. Have you ever had that happen before where a mosquito bit you and you didn't even realize it? Now, what do you do? What is the action when you see the mosquito there? No, wait a minute. No, none of you saying, oh, is that cute? <laughs> he, he's, he's just trying to get his meal, or she's just trying. I think it's just she's, by the way. Sorry, ladies, not trying to pick it. Right? Just, just trying to eat. That's all. No, what do you do? Because it's war. Now imagine. Let's get this a little worse. Let's imagine you now are uh, giving birth to a little baby. And you live in a country that's malaria-ridden or has yellow fever and mosquitoes. Well, let the baby go play in the ocean, right? Well, what, what are you doing as a parent? Like you, you are constantly vigilant. You are constantly watching. You're making changes because if that child was to get bitten and bitten in a way where they might not even realize it, they could then have something in them that might lead to death. And so this, I think this is a helpful understanding of, of Paul's emphasis because, again, therefore, do not let sin reign. It wants to control you. You need to fight because this is war. Lastly, and this one's a big one as well, the critical issue here is desires. 
Originally, I had this down as singular desire, but that's not true to the text. Paul, what Paul wants you to understand is that it is desires. I also need to make an adjustment to some of our English translations. In my Bible, if you look back, if your Bible is similar to mine, it says so that you obey its evil desires. The word evil is not in the original. Paul never wrote the word evil there. He just wrote the word desires. And so I really wrestled with this idea. And, and I looked it up in some other places. So in James, the same idea shows up. In fact, let me get to that one here. First in Ephesians, Paul says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its... That word's not in the original. Deceitful's not there. Just the word desires is there. Still, nevertheless, Paul says to put it off. James chapter 1, we, look, we looked at this earlier. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own what? Evil's not there in the text. In the original language, it just says desires. So I really had to, I had to think about this, and I know what our translators are doing, right? I, I know what the attempt is. The, the attempt is that you wouldn't become a monk, like a Buddhist monk. And by the way, that's one of the answers for Buddhism, is that you just have to get rid of all desire. And so they're trying to hedge this and be like, well, it's a certain kind of desire that you need to put off. And I think that's mostly right, but not completely. Because here's the issue. God made you with Good desires. He really did. Almost everything in your life that you would desire, God wants to use for something redemptive and good. But do you know what's happened? We have put the source of authority in our body as though we let the two-year-old, that demanding, control what we do. And so our desires, they actually work against us. So three ways that I wrote this down uh, for problems in our world. Because desires itself is not the problem. What is the problem? First thing I said was this. We have crafted our world around single dimensional instant gratification. That's, that's what the world has done when it comes to our desires. Single dimensional. It's taken whatever God made for a good desire and it's stripping it down to its very bottom basic. Like I, I, I like fruit. My, my mom would uh, put fruit in the dehydrator. We would always have fruit in my house. But do you know what's better than fruit? Pure white sugar. <laughs> Hold on. Wait, wait. Is, is there sugar in fruit? Yeah. But, but do you know what is also there? A bunch of other really good stuff. Right? There's, there's all kinds of nutrients in there that help balance out that one little part that you like so much. But you know what we've done? We in our world have made our desires single dimensional. And in so doing, we've corrupted ourselves by them. I wrote down a, a couple examples. Um, so uh, Micah brought home from school uh, something the teenagers are eating nowadays. They're called uh, talk, tackies? Talkies. What do you call Talkies. Do you guys know what a talkie is? Bingo. Most of us, thank you, we're all too old for this. That's good. A talkie is this little chip bag, and it's almost like these little straws of crispy kind of chip, right? But they are coated with layers upon layers of flavoring. You guys know when you were kids and you had Doritos and there was like that one really good Dorito, right, with all? Yeah, that's all a talkie is. Every one of them are caked on, and like I tried one, and it, it makes your whole face just pucker up. Because you know what we've done? By the way, kids are addicted to these. And no wonder why. Because it took the one desire of taste. Is taste a bad desire? No. no. That's a good desire. But you know what we did? We made it single dimensional. That's what we did. 
I thought sitcoms are the same way. You guys remember sitcoms watching on TV? If you waste your time watching a sitcom, all a sitcom is is situational comedy. Is laughter a bad desire? No. Is a sitcom anything remotely close to real world? No. I, th- I think of couples who don't get married anymore. They just live together. Right? They're, they're just having sex together because sex feels good. Is sex bad? Is, is that a bad desire? No, that's good. But you made it single dimensional. That's the first error that has happened in our world. And by the way, the whole of our world does this. It's taking good desires that God's given us and it's stripping them right down, single dimensional instant gratification. The second thing I wrote down was that we have been enslaved then by these desires. That's what will happen to you if you begin to train your body off of these monodimensional instant gratification. You will become enslaved to them. Here's a better word. Addicted to them. I am... Do you guys see TikTok is in the news? Raise your hand if you have no idea what I'm talking about with TikTok, because you have my respect. That's good. Only four of you? All right. Okay. TikTok is an app that comes from China. It's in the news right now because you probably heard that it has some uh, really invasive procedures of data gathering upon Americans. Um, This is from the National Library of Medicine and the National Center of Biochemistry Information. They're doing research on the indirect effects of depression, anxiety, and stress between, between what they're calling TikTok use disorder and memory loss. Um, I, I, I could, it'd be interesting to read you the whole article here. They, they call it coming from what's called a non-chemical addiction. Uh, I wrote down here, internet use disorder has, a, has strongly negative influence on normal psychological development, and it can lead to syndromes such as stress. And the whole thing goes on and on and on here to come to the conclusion. TikTok use disorder is positively linked to memory loss, also positively linked to depression, anxiety, and stress. And it goes on and on and on and on and on from there. Do you know what your kids, teenagers nowadays are addicted to? Uh, because here's why. Uh, we've been given a good desire for, for levity. That's a good desire for entertainment, for fun, for laughter, right? But we've been corrupted and TikTok has found the life hack in a human that says, if I just feed them that in a video clip for 20 to 30 seconds, do you know what they're going to do? They're going to want another hit. And so you scroll up and you watch another one and it's hilarious. And then you think, what's the next one? You scroll up another one and two hours have gone by and you're a zombie now on your phone and you're addicted. Single, mono use for a good desire. Instant gratification. And do you know what happens? We become enslaved. That's the second thing. Here's the third. And this is the one that why, this is why I'm preaching this today. We then normalize this behavior. We then as a society, we normalize it. And so we have, uh, we have a desire for, for uh, earning an income, for money. That's not, it's not a bad desire to want money. It is if it's your primary desire, because the love of money is the root of all evil. But you know what happens in the normalization of this evil, uh, the, the twistedness and slaving is that we've normalized absentee parenting. That's pretty much normalized in our world. Uh, roommate marriages. Because, because people are just tied to their careers. We've normalized this. Uh, additionally, we have a desire for excellence. Right? That's not a bad thing, to be excellent, to try to be like God and things. Well, this gets normalized and twisted around into perfectionism. Uh, 
which turns into judgmentalism as we desire to just poke out the, point out the speck in everybody else's eye and we ignore the log in our own. We've also normalized a desire for significance in our lives. That's not a bad thing to have a purpose in your life. But we've normalized the perversion of it so that families' lives are so filled and cluttered with so much extra baggage that we don't even have time for one another. And it requires medicated caffeination in our lives to even function for some people. I've not even had time this morning to talk about the normalization of addictions of gluttony, greed, lust, wrath, envy, sloth, and pride. That's, that's a big one in the last 10 years. Pride. Ooh, pride. Pride week, pride month, pride. Do you not know that's a deadly sin? Totally normal in our world. This is what Paul says. He says, for the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. And the spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want to do. And so, yeah, everybody with me on this last one? The critical issue here. Look back one more time in the text. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your moral bodies so that you obey its desires. That's where we're at. So what, what do we do with this this morning? I want to offer to you just a, a couple of them. Uh, this one is the big one because what we can't do we can't just say, oh, well, ho-hum, what are we going to do? Like Eeyore. Can't do that. I, I also don't want to offer a, well, just do better. Just try harder. That's not right either. So number one, it's this. It's, it's what the driver's end instructor said, right? Stop, 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 stop making license for sin in your life. I think, that's a, I think that, that one's huge. Because you're going you're gonna to find a lot more success if you are not making provision for sin in your life. I think there may be changes that need to happen in some of our lives. This is from Romans 13. Again, I love how the King James puts it. That's how I memorized it. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts in your life. Don't, don't set out the milk and cookies for sin. Don't make provision for it. And so this, this for you, like if you're listening to me this morning, I want you to ask the question, what, what changes need to be made in my life? Because we're really good at excuses. Uh, in my house, and I won't name any names here, but uh, uh, there's these certain type of Pringle chips that as soon as some of our family members start eating them, you know what happens to that whole can of chips? Gone. You you know you know how you know how you can fix that? Stop buying chips. Right? You're not gonna struggle if they're not there. Right? Every time I encounter this, I just always give in. I just I just can't help it. The mosquito, it's oh it's just there, it's just eating away at me. I look, stop making provision. That would be like going outside in malaria-ridden mosquito world with your shirt off, right? Cover yourself up. Put put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make provision. Everybody with me? Good. Stop. That's number one. Number two, prepare your mind for war by training in Christ. Uh, I, I, I want to again emphasize the in Christ portion there and the war concept. Because what do you do when you see these? Yeah. And do you know what? If they, if they inject that little biochemical protein that makes it so there is no inflammation, you don't even know they're there, and you see a little kid getting sucked by that, what do you say to the kid? 
Yell the thing. And you, you need to, we need to be taught how to do that. How do we do that? Well, folks, I, I can't. I'm preaching to the choir. You're in church. You're here to learn, right? Reading your Bible, holding each other accountable, working on this. Good. Prepare your mind for war because you are in a war. Number three, you need to be killing the mortal deeds of the body. Uh, just two verses on that. Romans eight thirteen. This this is the the great Puritan term mortification. It doesn't mean kill. It means be killing, constantly be putting it to death. Paul says in Romans 8, 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Again, Colossians, we heard this this morning. Phil read it for us. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. All right, all right, how do I do that? I wrote down a couple of things. Abstinence. Like make, just get it out of your life. How about accountability? Like I, I, need, to, I need to invite the trusted church to, to, to come, like a, a good friend. Like, hey man, make sure that I don't go in this direction anymore. I, I need to maybe change my thoughts. I need, to, I need to look at it and see how harmful it is. Because I've been duped into thinking I'm not hurting anybody. Or maybe confession. And now we're back to John's answer, right? See it the way God sees it. That's what the word confess, homilageo. It means to say the same thing God says. So I got to retrain my thinking by learning to confess these sins. Biblical meditation, having my mind changed and reformed by by soaking it in the word of God. Disciplined self-control. This is the ninth fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. There's more more that we could say there. Church, just bear with me here for a second because this is what the Bible says. And that's the best I can do is proclaim it loudly. But what I don't want you to hear is try harder. And yet, I kind of do want you to hear that. But I don't want you to try in your own strength. I want you to try in the strength that Jesus Christ gives you. Right? And so this is going to take effort on our part. Like, I, me and you, you know what we need to do? We need to put the treadmill down. We, that, that, that's Jesus' work, the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to start making an effort at this to see success. And here's the last one. We need to make sure that we're changing our affections because your loves drive your actions. What you love will determine what you do. And I want to remind you that the the core critical issue, as Paul is saying this in, in verse 12, is that we don't learn to obey evil desires. And some of you remember my Jello story from last week, right? So my desire changed. On, on that. Well, here's another one, and I'll, I'll end on this. Um, for, for a few months out of the year, um, my family and I, we try to abstain from certain things. Like, we're not going to have any sugar, we're not going to have any soda for a month. And we tried that back in February, and we did pretty good. In some other areas, we got to do better, but I know I did pretty good on not having any soda. And I've decided to just try to carry that out. So whenever I have opportunity to order a drink, I get water with lemon. <laughs> Unless we're going to A&W. And that's just the rest. <laughs> so, I'm a little in trouble right now with my illustration. Here, here's my point. I went for weeks. I went for weeks without any soda. And then Sadie had one. And so I helped myself to it because I'm her dad and I could do that. Um, and it was like poison. It was like, wow. It was like, I forgot. Like, when you're in the middle of these regular patterns of action, you've lost the sensitivity to what it does to your body. But, but when, you, when you change your behavior, you, your, your tastes, they change as well. 
The things that you're attracted to change as well. And so this is simply where I want to end with you. That the call to the Christian is not to give in to sinful desires. God's given you the same desires, but now you need to use them for good. And by the way, that is a little bit of a a cliffhanger for next Sunday. Because next Sunday, we're going to look at that third step. And it's going to... It's going to deal with actions, desires, and how how we use our bodies for that. That's what we're going to go next week. Amen?